0: Hello and welcome to Deer Tracks. It's great to have you back in my neck of the woods as we gather together for another episode of the Deer Tracks podcast. I'm James Kibbe, and this week... I am joined with author, playwright, and CanJam enthusiast Thomas H. Ike for what will be a two-part interview to discuss his writing. In part one, we will get to know Tom and talk about his short stories and playwriting. Um, and then in part two, we will focus on his novel, One Ounce of Fear. But before we bring in Tom, I would like to thank you for being here, whether you're listening for the first time or have been listening for a while. I really appreciate your interest, and if you enjoy the content of this podcast, please take a moment and give us a five-star rating and positive review wherever you are listening. Also, share it on your social media feeds and with friends and family who you think may enjoy this podcast as much as you. All of this helps us expand our audience. We also have a blog site, www.deartrackspodcast.blog, where you can listen to the episodes and read some fun and interesting articles written by me and other guest contributors. So if your friend or family member doesn't have a social media profile or isn't too keen on apps or other platforms, then send them over to our blog site. And again, the address is www.deartrackspodcast.blog. And, if you have a creative work that you would like to hear on a future episode or see on our blog site, you can email those to me at james at blog. So as I mentioned this week, I am joined by Thomas H. Ike to discuss literary forms I don't normally cover, and these are uh, short stories, playwriting, and novels. So first, I would like to welcome Tom to the Deer Tracks podcast. Tom, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Jim. So yeah, I was uh, really looking forward to this interview, I had uh, mentioned that we were going to Schedule this, and we had to reschedule. But I'm glad that we're finally having this interview. So, and I'm looking forward to discussing your work, uh, your short stories, your play that you that you wrote, and as well as the the novel that you wrote, uh, "One Ounce of Fear," which I really enjoyed. Uh, but first, why don't we give our listeners um, just a taste, maybe a tickle, of who uh, Thomas I H Ike is?
1: Yeah. Um, well, hello, everyone. Uh, It's good to be here. Um, Yeah, my last name is I-A-K. Why on earth is it spelled like that if it's Ike? Isn't it (laughs) I-A-K? All right. Um, You know, you might want to think about Ike and Tina Turner or maybe President Eisenhower. Uh, They called him Ike. Um, Old timers might remember his his, uh, presidential campaign slogan, I like Ike. I always thought that was kind of catchy. Anyway, yeah, who am I? I'm blessed. Uh, I've been happily married for most of our 36 years. Hi, Mayor. Glad you're listening. I also have two grown girls that I couldn't be more proud of. Um, For a paycheck, by day, I'm a lab courier for Kaleida Health. I drive around, which, you know, it's a route. Gives me plenty of time to basically hang out with the characters in my head. So I've always been creative. When I was young, I was drawing all the time. I mean, all the time. As far back as my preschool years, when I sold a drawing of a brontosaurus to my sister's teacher, um, I've dreamed of being an artist. I think he gave me a whole quarter. In high school, I developed a cartoon strip. Uh, It was about two friends who were stranded on a desert island. It was called The Castaways. I was told it had promise. If only I had made one of the two guys volleyball, I think I would have had a hit. Oh,
0: wow. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. You could have named him Wilson. Yeah. Right? Right? And he goes Wilson! <laughs> yeah, a little castaway little, humor there. little castaway humor there, uh, yeah, for uh, Tom, Tom Hank fans. So, but uh, anyway, uh, before... Uh, we get into your writing though. Uh, One of the things that I I didn't mention prior, but uh, you had told me before this really interesting uh, situation that happened to you when you were at the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So I thought maybe you could uh, tell our listeners uh, that uh,
1: story. Yeah. You know, just like most things in life, I just kind of bust in and I don't really pay attention to what I'm doing. uh, When I start out, my wife had did a little research on what was going on at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but I just wanted to go so bad. We went for our 35th anniversary. And um, I mean, the basically the first floor was everything you'd expect. Uh, it just the highlight for me was seeing the little tiny piano that was in the basement of Paul McCartney's girlfriend's apartment. Uh, little tiny piano. He wrote a ton of songs on that little piano. I thought that was really cool. So anyway, the th- Third floor was something I wasn't expecting. It was very interactive. You could strap on a guitar or a bass or sit behind a drum kit and smash away if you felt like. You could learn to learn how to um, operate those things. I never really thought I would do any of that stuff, but at one point, there was a band setting up, and I'm like, sweet, we might be able to hang out. I don't know who these guys are. They're all kind of young. Who knows who these guys are? And as my wife and I were discussing this in the hallway, there's like a little garage set up. It even had like a garage door, if I remember right. So the two of us are, you know, looking at these guys kind of setting up, and the bass player walks over to me and he goes, Name a song. And I'm like thinking to myself, Yeah, as if this kid could just take requests and the entire band could, you know. So the zombies uh happened to have recently been uh inducted so I said give me something from the zombies and he goes like what so I said how about she's not there he goes how's that go so you know just like saying a little bit and he's like oh yeah 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 and as he's backing up into his little place where he's got his pedals and his mic and all that I just sort of followed him in I looked over at the bass player Or the drummer and the guitarist. And, of course, they're kids. They're on their phones. And I'm like, yeah, like as if these guys are really going to be able to play. And then a fourth guy walks in. He sits behind this massive keyboard. And he goes, what song are we doing? And the bass player says, she's not there by the zombies. And the guy goes, oh, I love that song. Which I get it. You know, it's got a lot of keyboards in it. And then... The drummer says, well, there's not a lot to this song. And I realized the two of them are listening on their phones to the song, learning it on the spot. Pretty soon the song erupts around me. And I'm like, we better get out of here. Just as the bass player looks over at me and goes, hey, dude, you're way too far away from your microphone.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. That's a good one.
1: Yeah, I actually ended up singing She's Not There by the Zombies at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame but by the time we got to the chorus though, I was like doing the whole Elvis like recradles the microphone <laughs> You know, I was just going at it. Yeah, you know, like Is
0: that is that when you uh got that uh you know that that uh suit, you know, that Elvis would wear the
1: Yeah, I probably should have tried to do a little Elvis or something. And I was really glad that the rest of the band sang, I'm sure <laughs> uh didn't turn out that great. Of course we both had recording devices in our pockets. You think either one of us would have got this thing on you know, no, and I guess that's probably a good thing. I'm not a singer,
0: <laughs> so uh, well, that was a pretty interesting story. I I, I definitely like that one there. Definitely uh, something to remember. You know, something that uh, probably hasn't happened to a whole lot of people at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
1: The some dude stood up like right after that. I mean, a few people applauded, and the guy raised his hand. He goes, "Can I go next?" He played. He He did "Zombie" by the Cranberries, and he nailed it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Afterwards, I mean, a lot of people applauded, and afterwards, I'm like, "Dude, if you had went first, I never would have went." He goes, "I'm a singer." Ha.
0: Go figure. Right. Yeah. Right. Showing off. Showing off. Yeah. There was a. That reminds me of something real quick. I was. I um, I uh was taking guitar lessons at one time, and I had a guitar teacher who played in a band, and he had a gig downtown at Good Bar. I was about 18 at the time, maybe something like that. 17, 18 at the time. So he invited me to help him out. That way, I can kind of just basically help, like lug gear and stuff. And uh, it it was funny because so we got there and uh, I, I they went on real late. So you know, typical kind of like bar kind of gig. You know, go don't go on until like eleven to like two in the morning, whatever. And I remember there were uh, at one point at one of the during one of the sets they invited this guy. This guy was drunk. Like you could tell this guy was just drunk. And of course there were all these girls that were drunk. And, uh, so they invited this guy to come up and to sing a song. And so he sang some sort of like Pearl jam song or something like that. But it was just, I don't know. It, it was just kind of odd. It was just kind of like, it wasn't bad, but at the same time, it was just kind of funny. Cause I'm just sitting there going like, wow. Okay. Yeah. This guy's really into it, you know? He's taking over the karaoke mic. But I feel like when, you know, for Eddie Vedder, sometimes you don't necessarily need to enunciate the words well. (laughs) I don't know. What is Elton John singing anyway? Like, I can never understand his lyrics. I'm just saying. Hold hold me closer, Tony Danza. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. That's it. That's it. So let's uh, uh, focus uh, in on your uh, writing here. So... uh, how did you uh, begin writing? So what was what was kind of the story on that? I mean, you mentioned about how you started drawing. So but yet you end up being an author instead of a uh painter or drawer or animator. So how how did that uh transition?
1: Yeah, I was in college when I first tried my hand at creative writing. Um, We were freelancing, a friend of mine and I were freelancing illustrations for a local author's children's book when full of hubris and inspiration from the good Dr. Seuss, I reworded his story, made it rhyme. I mean, it's a kid's book. Anyway, I've always enjoyed telling stories, especially to my daughters at bedtime and on hikes. Sometimes I would just make them up as I went along. Most of my tales would just remain verbal, but I did spend a little time working on a tale for each of them. For Amanda, who's my firstborn, uh, she was maybe 12 at the time. I worked on a middle grade sleuth mystery. Honestly, it really wasn't very good. You know what? My problem was, is that, well, one of my many problems was that um, when I'd started writing, I'd stopped reading. You know, writers need to read. Anyway, like I said, I started working on two stories. The other one for Michelle, she's four years younger than Amanda. So maybe she was eight, you know, seven. Uh, I made it rhyme, of course. I was raised on Dr. Seuss. So actually that one there, actually, I felt like turned out pretty good. It's a cute buddy story about a bird who refuses to fly and an ostracized worm. Willie's wormholes were just way too big. Um, there was a line, something like, uh, Willie the Worm was an overachiever. When he dug a hole, it was big enough for a beaver.
0: <laughs> wow. So uh, uh, some rhyming there for sure. That that That's an uh, interesting rhyme. <laughs> but, I, you know, at the same time, I like the concept of that story. But uh, obviously with the rhyming in that, and given that we started sort of like this podcast podcast, um, focusing a little bit more on poetry, obviously rhyming is a big thing in, uh, in poems. And, uh, you did actually tell me that, uh, when you were younger that, uh, you did actually write some poems and you happen to have one of those poems, uh, right here. Would you mind, uh, reading it for us?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, hmm. yeah, many years ago through my late teens and early twenties, I wrote a few, uh, some of them were romantic for the missus, Some were a bit maybe more introspective, um, like this one. Um, So it's called What's in Your Closet, or Seeking a Reflection. I really never decided what it was called. Here it is. Who am I? Those bones in there, they're not mine. Just some stuff someone left behind. Those things you see, they could not be, and I'll not look, because it's not me. Well, you couldn't be certain the wounds weren't hurtin'. Someone's pullin' strings from behind the curtain. On my shoulder I wear a chip, like a scolding from the hip. My frame of mind, a magician's trick. A pirate's find, a ton of brick. Medicine that makes you sick. Thought for naught, cause you's a little light, but not enough to see that things are not right. Life is crowded and eyes are clouded. Feel your way through the day while the grand prize remains shrouded.
0: Yeah, that's, um, I, I really like that. I like that uh, poem there. And I mean, there are definitely some really nice lines. Uh, one of the ones that stood out to me was, On my shoulder I wear a chip like a scolding from the hip. But certainly being able to uh, write poetry and uh, do that, I mean, and putting words together, because words create pictures, um, they create, and, and so it's when you're writing, you want to be able to not only communicate uh, your the thoughts, but also paint the picture of those thoughts and of that scene and, and of the characters and everything that are filling these stories that you write. Uh, and so uh, I really enjoyed the short stories uh, that you shared with us. Uh, one of them I read on, on a, a couple episodes back uh, called Farewell Earthlings. And then the other one I shared on our blog site, which is Mother May I. Uh, both really just interesting characters, kind of first person accounts. Uh, one, uh, it's like a letter, so writing a letter or or an email, or, or whatever they would use to transmit that message. The other one um, was a uh, kind of like almost like in their thought. You were in their head the whole time as they're going through and uh, experiencing this uh, job interview. And if you haven't uh, read that, you can read that on our blog site. It's up there. And also, too, um, if you haven't heard Farewell Earthlings, uh, just go back a couple episodes, and it's right there on our uh, podcast episode titled Hope for Earthlings. Uh, but what I wanted to do was just talk a little bit about those. And what I wanted to, uh, first see is like, w- so what was it like writing, uh, short stories? Uh, you, you do like to tell stories. Um, I remember we were talking about how you like to define yourself more so as a storyteller and obviously, um, writing a novel, you know, you've got a little bit more space. You can be a little, you can, you can kind of go on for a while with, uh, place and setting and and developing the characters but in a short story you only have so much time and in in so many words to develop these characters to develop the plot and 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 to make us care enough to finish it so uh what what are kind of your experience with writing and uh with those short stories and uh especially uh with the two that we uh shared uh on the podcast
1: yeah that's a good question um Short stories are hard because you need to develop a believable character or believable characters while still building an interesting and intriguing plot. Um I mean it's it's an excellent exercise if you want to grow as a writer to try to do it. It certainly will um make you a better writer. Uh the the two that you mentioned, um yeah. <laughs> I remember in the podcast, you mentioned that it felt kind of like a twilight zone episode. Um, And yeah, I I was probably heavily inspired, but I love the twilight zone. Um, I love creating stories that uh, are kind of a little out there with a twist. Um, As for mother, may I, Um, I don't know. I was just kind of thinking about childhood games and, and, I was, I mean, they're all pretty much the same. If you're fast or quick or athletic or smart, you can win a childhood game unless it's mother may I, that makes it quite unique. And thinking about that, um, is was the, was the genesis of, of creating this character um, where that game comes back to haunt her.
0: Yeah. I, I remember we were uh, discussing it a little bit uh, how we were saying, uh, like uh, what I liked about the character was that, you know, at one point you're, you want her to kind of like get her just, you know, her just desserts, so to speak, you know, because she just seems like such an irritable, like uh person, like just very, or not irritable, but, She's irritating, you know, it's the kind of person that you just want to kind of, you you just kind of hope something bad happens to them in a way because they're so uh, cocky. And then, um, but towards the end of it, you're like, man, I'm kind of glad it sort of ended like that as opposed to what initially we were kind of hoping that like at one point you're, you're, the the twist is you're thinking, okay, she is going to get her just desserts. And then all of a sudden it's like, she doesn't give in and you're almost kind of glad that she didn't give in. It, it was, I, I really liked how that sort of uh, worked in that story.
1: And there was a lot at stake for her. I uh, was careful to set the scene so that you could see that this is something that the character really wanted. And um, uh, with very few words, <laughs> but uh, so that she would be highly motivated um, to maybe um, bend her will. Um, and yeah, it was really fun creating a character that the reader was probably not going to be rooting for.
0: Yeah, it's, well, you know, it's like the reader's not rooting for it for most of the story. Then at the end, they almost kind of are because <laughs> they're kind of like, oh, I'm kind of glad she did that now. Cause it, yeah. Um, and again, it's up on our blog site. So if you're listening and, and you haven't read it, uh check it out and let us know what you think about, about that. Um, but uh, also to uh, farewell Earthlings again, and, and that, like I said, the Twilight Zone. I I thought that was just a really interesting twist. Both both of them, just really interesting uh, twists there. And uh, and then two, you also wrote uh, a play. I did. So so we go from trying to flesh these characters out uh, in a in a short format. And trying to get people to care about the characters, to develop you know, trying to develop the characters to stuff in such a short amount of time. And then you wrote a play, and the play was titled Peach Pie. And here, this is like a whole other beast because now you are writing to develop these characters, to get people to care about these characters, to, to tell the story, but to do it in a way where it's not so much we're sitting here reading it, but for a medium where it's being acted out in front of an audience. So how did you go about transitioning from telling stories in like a short story format to telling a story in a like playwriting format?
1: So there's one thing that you don't know. Uh, Peach Pie, there's a couple things you don't know. Peach Pie was originally a short story. Okay. Um, fairly longer than the two that I did send to you. Um, it's a dystopian romance. Um, it's a short story about a young couple that falls in love during the second American civil war. Uh, still pending. No, the shorts, it's this short story is finished. No,
0: the second American
1: civil war. I think it's in the, we're, I think we're (laughs) working on it pretty hard right now. (laughs) Um, but anyway, so peach pie, uh, is also now my only play so far. And this is how it happened. Um, I submitted the play for a critique uh, in a writing group that I was in for years and years. Uh, highly recommend, by the way, getting into a writing group. But that's another story. Um, so the director of Western New York Players, his name is John Reach, uh, would occasionally go to this group. And when he read Peach Pie he approached me and told me that he felt like with a little bit of work, it could make a nice two-part play. The second thing that you don't know is that at the time he was doing what was called radio plays. In other words, there's no action. You have actors on the stage and they have old fashioned looking anyway, uh, microphones. There's no set. There's no costumes. So, In creating a radio drama, you have to have all of the action and obviously all the dialogue through dialogue. Uh, Talk about a very strenuous exercise in learning how to be concise with your words. Um, John was fantastic. We worked on it for I'd say about four or five months. He told me that if I could get it done, it could be in his next play, uh, which was, um, or in his next performance, I should say, um, which it did make it. And it was my story and I think three or four others that we performed live um, two nights in a row. It was fantastic. I wish he was still doing it, but he's now retired. He sold, or actually, I think he donated all of his costumes and set pieces uh I think he told me he gave them to the buff State drama club
0: Wow, that's really really interesting yeah radio drama uh you know I'd seen something like that at one time at uh kleinhands music hall uh with the Philharmonic there was a uh, there was a group that kind of did some some of that stuff but then also did some music from like the from like that era as well like the radio era you know like the um, I can't even think of the group now, but, uh, anyway, um, like the Bugle Boy, that, um, uh, Bugle Boy Company B, that song, you know, that, uh,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so they did kind of like that kind of music and then, but they also did some like these commercials and stuff and they did this kind of radio. So it was, it gave it kind of like a feel of like a old
1: time, you
0: know, radio broadcast.
1: And he did the same thing that you're describing. It was, yeah. And... Uh, there was music sometimes uh that was kind of filling in and then you had the
0: gaffer and stuff that was kind of like off to like the side or whatever doing all the uh, i think that's what they're called gaffers they're doing all the sound effects and everything like that with all the different you know um that's that's actually how i became
1: part of western new york players is taking on that role first uh as the guy who created or provided all the sound effects they were all digital at the time except for a couple of them where we needed a loud thud, so I dropped a whole bunch of books. But other than that, yeah, it was all digital stuff. A lot of fun. I'll tell yeah. you what. that Seeing my characters come alive on stage was one of the most satisfying things um, in my writing career. It was great.
0: Yeah, that's that's really, really cool. That's really, really cool. So, um, But anyway, uh, that about does it for our time for this episode. So tune in next week as Tom and I continue the discussion of his work, uh, looking at his novel One Ounce of Fear. And we will have a link to it in the show notes and in the blog post for this episode. Uh, once again, the address for our blog site is www.deartrackspodcast.blog. And again, if you have a creative work that you would like to hear on a future episode or see on our blog site, you can email that to me at james at well, until our paths cross again, this is James Kibby saying. So long for now. Take care.